Before we start, um, let us pause and, and, and pray and ask the Lord's help this morning. Our Lord and Father, we, um, we come before you uh, during these uh, uh, strange and yet difficult times in our culture and in our society and in our world, Lord. Uh, this morning we remembered you, Lord, uh, as a body, one in Christ, part of the church, and yet we were not together, but we were able to, to commune together because, number one, we have the fellowship that is in Christ. But yet we are also thankful, Lord, that we live in a day where technology allows us the ability to gather together and hear each other's voices, to hear the, the voice of men cry out, worship and praise to your name, Lord. And so we thank you for the, the, the ability and the privileges that we have in this day, Lord. Lord, I, I, I pray now as, as uh, uh, you have tasked me to share from your word, Lord, this morning, and, and as uh, folks are gathering from from. Uh, here in South Florida and potentially around this country, Lord. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth, that your spirit would speak. Lord, let your let yourself be glorified in what is uh, what is brought forth this morning, Lord. Equip your people. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. So I, I do want to start this morning by, by saying... It was it was an interesting morning. It was interesting in that we remember the Lord, yet we were distanced. It reminded me of the story that I heard about Buzz Aldrin when he when he went to the moon. When there they were sitting in the capsule waiting on the surface of the moon to go out, and they were waiting for a specific amount of time. He took it upon himself to to break out the cup and the bread and to remember the Lord there. On the surface of the moon, as far as he was from humanity, yet there the guest of honor, our Lord Jesus Christ, was with him. And so this morning, as I imagine many churches around this great nation were trying to remotely and virtually remember the Lord. Never forget that our Lord is with us. The guest of honor was always there. And for that, we're thankful and we praise him. Now, I know that uh, there are folks from others, other meetings joining us in this uh, Facebook Live. And so I do want to preface my message by saying that here at Boulevard Bible Chapel, we have been uh, consecutively going through the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you tuned in last week, we had a brother, Micah Tuttle, where, where he had liberty to speak on whatever he had. Uh, but starting this Sunday and, and moving forward, we're going to continue with our study of the parables. So I would ask you to join us in our study to the parables. And this morning we're going to be studying the parable of the Minas. And it's found in Luke chapter 19 verse 11. So I would ask you, to, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Luke chapter 19. And we'll begin reading at verse 11. I'll give you a moment to turn to it. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. The Word of God says, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called, uh, so he called ten of his servants delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was, when he returned, having received the kingdom, that he then commanded these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then, then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to them, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful with a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned you five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also will be over five cities. 
Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which, you, which I have kept and put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. Collect, I, I collected what I did not deposit and, I, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming I may have collected the uh, interest with it. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that, that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. I am amazed as God's sovereignty that the Lord would place me to study this parable at such a time like this. One of the main points, one of the main paramount principles found in this parable is incredibly applicable to today in the day in which we live in today. Yes, we're going to talk about the context of the parable. We're going to talk about the purpose of the parable. And we're going to talk about the, the, the meaning of the parable. But I don't want you to walk away without the application of the parable, which is for you and I today. Every single person upon this earth is in this parable. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you're in this parable. And you have a responsibility, a duty. In this parable. And I will get to that in a moment. First, let's look at the context of the parable. First, we, we, we read that this parable here follows the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. And you know the story. That Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus. And, and because he was short of stature, he would go ahead in the path and he would climb up a sycamore tree and he would look for Jesus. One who was a chief publican or could be called a chief sinner. And yet our Lord would walk the path and it would stop before the chief of sinners. And he would say, Zacchaeus, come down for I must dine with you today. The amazing thing is that here is Jesus, the Son of God, gracing the, the, the roads of Jericho. Now what's the significance there? Jericho was a cursed city. If you recall, the Lord cursed Jericho. He said whoever would rebuild that city, he would lose, he would, the cost of rebuilding that city would be two sons at the beginning, when he would lay the foundation, he would lose his first son. And as he hung the gates, he would lose his second. The Lord cursed Jericho, and yet here is the Son of God gracing the roads of Jericho. And not only just the roads of Jericho, but going to the chief of sinners. And one of the problems, or one of the things the Lord had to correct amongst his followers as he was following as they were following him, was the fact that they all expected an earthly kingdom to come. Now, we don't see it in the account of Luke, but in the account of Mark, in Mark chapter, uh, let's see here, Mark chapter 10, in Mark chapter 10, in the same account here, you have, as the Lord was on his way to Jericho, you have two of the prominent disciples, both James and John, Coming to the Lord. And you know what they asked? They asked, Lord, can we ask something of you? They said, Lord, would you allow us to have the seat at your right hand and at your left hand when you come into glory? And the Lord had to correct their thinking. Listen, 
First of all, for, the, for, 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 for you to be in that place, it's not mine to give, but the Father to give. But also, it, it is for you to go up is to go down. For you to be in a place of honor is to serve. And so the Lord had to continually correct the thinking of His disciples who were immediately around Him, but also those who, who followed the greater crowd. And so we read in this parable that, that here he is in the house of Zacchaeus, and, and yet the people are getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, and they were expecting that an earthly kingdom were to come. And so the Lord took this time, number one, to correct their thinking, and number two, to prepare them. And so we read at the beginning of this parable that he said this parable specifically for that reason. Number one, to correct their thinking, and number two, to prepare his disciples. Now, the parable is a relatively simple parable. It's an allegory. We, we can very quickly and easily understand who the characters are and who they represent. Now, in here we have three main characters. First, you have the noblemen. Then you have the servants. And then you have the citizens. Now, from the context of this parable, we clearly see that the noblemen... Uh, the Greek word of the nobleman is one of noble birth, one of, of, of significant, of special, of priority of birth. There is no greater than Jesus himself. And so we see the nobleman represents Christ. The servants, the ten servants, represents his disciples, represents his followers, represents his children. And lastly, we look at the, the citizens. The citizens represent the world. The citizens reject them, rejected Jesus Christ while he was here on earth. And they will reject him again in, the, in a future, future date when he physically comes upon this earth. But yet, even though he is not here today, they still reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And so, we understand what these principles, or what these characters represent to us. But there's one more aspect that I want you to to fully grasp and I want to be clear on. What does the meanest represent? One of the prominent uh, features of this parable is the mina. Is this, this amount of money which, which translated to about three, uh, three months worth of wages for, for, for an individual of the day. And so the, 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 the nobleman would, would take ten of his servants and he would give each of them one mina before he left. What is the significance of the mina? Because, listen, we can talk about the nobleman, and we will talk about the nobleman. We can talk about the citizens. But if, if you look at the context of the, of the parable, the citizens aren't a large part of the parable. They're at the beginning, and, and they're mentioned again at the end. The predominant portion of this parable is dealt with the ten servants and the ten minas and their account before the nobleman. And so the, the, the main purpose or the main principle of this parable has to do with these ten servants, the minas, and their account before the Lord, before the noble. And so we have to first begin to ask ourselves, what is the mina? What it represents? We, we're clear as to the nobleman. The nobleman represents Christ because, well, he came here upon earth. And he was here with us. And he went away, did he not? He died, he rose again, and he ascended. And he sits at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies are made a footstool. And, and he says, I will come again. And so we're in this period, found in, in verses 11 to 14, where he has left his ten servants. And he's given us ten minas. Now, I, I do want to, at this moment give some clarification. Now, the, the, the parable that is parallel to this is the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25. Now, I, I, I don't want to spend the time to, to prove to you why these are separate or different parables, but I will tell you, if you do some homework, you will see that the context and the timing of these parables are in different locations and different places. The parable of the talents was done in, in Jerusalem through the Passion Week. The parable of the Minas was done on the, road to Jer on the road to Jerusalem. So we have two different parables given by our Lord Jesus Christ with two separate 
purposes. And the reason I bring this up is that in the parable of the talents, the Lord gets his servants and he gives a certain number of talents per servant. He would give one servant five talents. And he would give another servant two talents. And he would give one servant one talent. So he gave different proportions of talents for different servants. It's different than this parable, isn't it? And here we have ten servants. And there's ten minas. Each one received the exact same amount. And that, 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 is, that is significant. That is, that is incredibly significant. I, I, the, the, the parable of the talent speaks of our responsibility before the Lord with the talents that He gives us. Now, I, I'm not going to get too far into it, but in that parable, it highlights the fact that we are all different. My capabilities are not your capabilities. The resources the Lord has given me are not your resources. The opportunity the Lord has given me are not your opportunities. So you see, there, there, there's, there's variance in the body of Christ when it comes to ministry, when it comes to opportunity, when it comes to resources. And we see that in the, in the parable of the talents. But here, in the parable of the minas, the Lord, or, or the nobleman, gives them the exact same amount. There is no difference. So, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that the Lord gave us? He gave to every single believer, every single child of God, without discrimination. Without, without any difference. You know, I, I wrestled with this. Uh, well, could, could, could it be the Holy Spirit? We all have the Holy Spirit, that's true. But can some have a greater measure of the Holy Spirit than others? Absolutely. Some can quench the Holy Spirit. Some can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't think the meanness is, represents the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe it means, and, 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 and many scholars would agree with me. The meanness represents the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Every single child of God upon this earth who's ever walked upon this earth has that in common. Jesus Christ, Him crucified, rising again from the tomb for the remissions of sins. That, that, that is even ground. That is parallel ground. In, in that we all have in common. Every single one of us who calls ourselves a child of God are entrusted with the gospel. There is no greater measure of the gospel for one or the other. We're all saved by faith, through grace, through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I tell you the, the, the significance of that is that in this parable, the, the, the main thrust and the main point is what are you doing with the capital investment with which the nobleman gave you. That, that, is, that is the main point of all, all that is said in this parable. What is it that you're doing with what God entrusted you with? If the mina signifies to us the gospel, what is it that we're doing with the gospel? Just to give you a little proof text, I, I'm getting ahead of myself as I always do. Uh, for the mina being the gospel... I would simply point you uh, very quickly to the Great Commission. There in, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus Christ uh, said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, speaking of the nobleman, speaking of who he is and his position. And he says, now, he, now here's a charge to all his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the, on the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command to you. And lo... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every single believer, every single one who calls himself a children of God is given that charge. I would also point you to, to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 
um, sorry, First Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul would say to the Corinthian church, be careful what you build upon that foundation, where, which, which is Jesus Christ, where, where no other foundation could be laid. The one thing that every believer has in common is Jesus Christ, is His gospel, is His truth. And so that's why I titled this message, the phrase there, at the end of verse 13. The charge of the nobleman to his servants is, do business till I come. Do business till I come. You see, we're in this in-between period. The Lord has come. The Lord was lifted up. And the Lord rose again. And He sits and He waits. And we're waiting for His return. We're waiting for His kingdom to be established. And our charge is to do business until He comes. Now, I do want to point a couple things out. Number one, the number ten. Now, I I don't want to get too caught up in the details and and read too much significance into everything. But the number ten is a number of completion. The number 10 would represent all believers, all Christians, the the, the totality of the church, those who serve Him. And thus He gave them all the same capital investment of the Gospel. Secondly, we learn that they're to trade, they're to do business in a world that's hostile to their Master. The world was hostile to Jesus Christ while He walked upon this earth, and the earth is hostile to him today. And the hostile and the world will be hostile to them in the future. All the way to the very end. Humanity will be hostile and will reject their king. And so we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised that as we, we go about spreading the gospel, go about the business in which Jesus entrusted us to do that there will be opposition that there will be persecution at times we are all charged with that task now the next section of the parable has to do with the accountability and the majority of the parable has to do with the accountability And, and this is where my heart is this is where I want you to 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 dwell in your hearts the importance of this. For when when, when the nobleman returns, he calls upon all his servants to give an account of what they've done. And we read, starting at at verse 15, how each one went before them. And and I want you to look very specifically at the wording because it's, it's a... It's a beautiful lesson to you and I. It says that when he called the first one, it says that the first one came and and saying, Master, now listen to these words. He says, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Now, I I don't know if you caught that. I'm going to read it again. Your mina has earned you ten minas. Now, I ask you, who earned the ten minas? Was it the servant? Or was it the mina? Do you see the difference? It's very, it's very specific. Listen, he says, it wasn't me who earned the ten minas, but it was your gift that earned the ten minas. Now, brothers and sisters, it, it, that should bring joy to our hearts. You see, it's not by our might, it's not by our intellect in which the gospel will go forth. It's not by our own uh, uh, ingenuity in which people will be saved. The gospel, the truth of Christ and what He did for the world, that message will take care of its own. That message will be used by the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and to draw all men to Himself. All we have to do is, as the the hymn writer put it, channels only, blessed Master. 
All we are is but a conduit for the gospel. You see, this, this faithful servant, this servant which, which the master calls a good and faithful servant, all he did was let the mina do the work. And he was nothing but a channel of it. I, brothers and sisters, we're living in a, in, a, in a time, in a moment, in which this is paramount. Listen, if, if we as individuals grappled and understood the truth, the fact that the capital investment of the gospel which the Lord gave us is our primary duty, that if we understand that as churches, as, as local bodies of Christ, as local representations of Christ here upon this earth, that our primary purpose is the gospel. It would drastically change this world. I, and I keep saying this phrase, capital investment. And some of you may not like it, but that is what it is. The Lord has given us this investment and we are to do business with it. We are to we are to spread it and let it multiply. As a as a as a church as a local body, we're supposed to do it at a wholesale level. But do you know, as individuals, you have your own storefront. As individuals, you have your own kiosk. You have your own responsibility to do business with that mina which the Lord has given you. It's not left to preachers. It's not left to elders. It's not left to missionaries. It's not left to, to the clergy. But it's for every single saint, for every single child of God to do business and invest the gospel in those around us. Brothers and sisters, my, my, my main point that I don't want you to walk away with this morning we live in a world right now that the people around us are frightened. There's fear. There's genuine fear. There's genuine concern for their eternity. Brothers and sisters, I, I will quote to you the words given to Esther. You are here for such a day as this. I understand that we, we were to have social distancing but we all have phones. We all have computers. There's many ways to connect to people. We have to be about our Father's business. I, I, I'm excited to, to see what the Lord does with this. I, just consider this, and this is a completely side note, and forgive me for my, 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 uh, my bunny trail. Whenever the, the Lord causes His church to disperse, He causes great things to happen. In the book of Acts, when, when great persecution came upon the New Testament church there in Jerusalem, and the church was dispersed, and we see what? We see the gospel not no longer in Jerusalem, but we see it in Samaria. And there Philippi, there, there Philip would, would see in Samaria uh, 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 Samaritans being saved, and the Holy Spirit being, being uh, uh, coming down upon them. And from there, from Samaria to the Gentiles. And so I, I would say this, as we are all separated, as we are all in our own little islands, the Lord has given us a sphere of influence. The Lord has given us people in which we, that He has tasked us to give the gospel. It, it is... The main reason, brothers and sisters, I, 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 I don't know how to stress that enough. And, and I, I'm not saying this as I have mastered this. I'm saying this to my own self. First Peter uh, chapter 3, 15 uh, declares and, and calls to every believer to be ready in season and out of season. To share with those around us when they look upon us and see the hope that is in us. With meekness and gentleness. That, that is 
why we're here. Are we not the light of the world? Are we not salt upon this earth? Let us not forget that the primary reason, the primary calling of every believer is to is to spread Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. And so we have two servants, two servants who are faithful. One, he says, Master, your mina has given you ten. Second, Master, the same exact wordage, your mina has produced you five. And then we come to the sad testimony of the last one. Here you have this servant who says, Master, here's what you gave me. Not one bit less, not one bit more. I kept it perfectly safe. I I, I tucked it away, I wrapped it in a handkerchief, and I kept it safe. Now now listen, I I want you to listen to the words of this this servant. He says, "I, I did this because you're an austere man, he says. Austere being sharp, rigid, stiff-necked, hard person. Because you're a hard person, he says. You seek to collect where you have not deposited. You seek to sow where you have not reaped. Now, brothers and sisters, that, that 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 is a sad statement. That is a sad statement for someone who calls himself a child of God. Now, before I get too ahead of myself, I will say that there is there is debate amongst commentaries and theologians concerning this this last servant, whether he was a true child of God or he was a he was a false servant. I would tell you from my own personal studies. I believe that he is a true servant. I believe he is a child of God. And I'll explain to you why, but what a sad statement by a, an individual who calls himself to be a child of God and yet have such a view of his God and Savior. Before I go on, I do want to give you some proof text for that. Why I believe he is a believer. Number one, I would point you to back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there where, where he describes the, the scene of, of, of the, the judgment seat of the Lamb, the Mebo seat, where he says, Be careful what you what you build upon this foundation, whether wood here stumble or gold, silver, or precious stones. He says, What we do upon this earth matters. What we do, what we, what we build upon Jesus Christ matters. Because one day, before the Lord Himself, our, 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 the, the, the totality of what we did upon this earth will be tested. And will be tested with fire. And He says that, that once everything that's going to burn is going to burn off, He says if there's anything left, there will be a reward. And we see that here, don't we? We see that those who labored and, and, and were faithful... They, they produced. They were fruitful. But here you see one who was lazy. Who, who, who didn't, didn't seek to know God. And, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that those who, who go before the judge and everything gets burnt up and there is nothing left. It says that they will, they will suffer great loss. It says here in verse 15, it says, if, anyone, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. It says, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. And just one more proof text to, to give you as in regards to this with a, a lazy servant. Can a believer be, be, be so... Skewed in his thinking. Well, I will point you to. I will point you to Second Peter chapter one verse nine, where where it says uh, where it gives this list of attributes uh, you should add to your to your uh, uh, 
uh, knowledge, virtue, virtue, perseverance, and so forth. He says, uh, it says if, if he who lacks all these things, he says, they become short-sighted, even blind, and have forgotten what he was cleansed, what he was cleansed from, his old sins. So can a believer become so skewed and so far from the Lord? Yes, they can. And that's what I believe we have here this morning in this unfaithful servant. Number one, he looked at, at, at his Savior as a hard man. Now, you may say, oh, brother, I, I don't know anybody like that. Saints, I would beg to differ. There, there are many people in Christendom who call themselves Christian, who, who would tell you that some of the things in the, in the New Testament, some of the things in the Bible, they're hard. They're difficult. They, they don't match what I see in my society. They don't match what I see in my culture. The, 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 the Jesus that you're, you're showing me from the Bible, it, it, it's, it's not what I, what, what I want. He asks too much. And it doesn't even have to be that extreme. It doesn't even have to be that extreme. The, the, the Lord calls us to be holy, to be set apart. The, the Lord calls us to, to, to be a peculiar people. The Lord calls us to be a, a light and salt in this world. And yet, to, to my, even to my own shame, we are like the world that, for the most part, we look like the world, we talk like the world, we laugh at the same jokes as the world, and we say, oh, it doesn't do us any harm. Oh, it's just a dirty joke. It's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It absolutely is a big deal. Are, 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 are the words of our Lord too difficult? Is He too harsh of a taskmaster? Lord, help us to search our own hearts in these matters. Are, are we being a faithful servant or are we being a lazy servant? And, and, and in regards to the mean of which he was given, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are we doing with it? Listen, I'm guilty of this. Evangelism is hard. Sharing, sharing your faith is, is, is difficult. And at times we, we become lazy in it. At times people outright refuse, don't they? They'll say, well, I'm not really an evangelist. I'll, I'll leave that for the evangelist. I'm not gifted that way, they would say. Yes, there is a gift of evangelism. And that gift of evangelism is not for evangelizing, evangelizing the lost. That gift of evangelism is to equip the saints to evangelize. So nobody is without excuse. We are all to be lights. We are all to evangelize. The Lord has put you in the work in which you're at. The Lord has put you in the school that you're at. The Lord has put you in the community that you're at. So before you start thinking, I can't really do that kind of work unless I'm out in Papua New Guinea. Because I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the suburbs. No. The Lord put you in the suburbs. The Lord put you in your cubicle. The Lord put you in your school. And put people around you. And He has tasked you with doing business while He's gone. He has tasked us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Are we being lazy with this gospel? Are we being negligent? Lord, forgive us. We, leave, we live in a society that is empathetic. We live in a society that, 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 that sameness is more important than truth. I would ask you this. Where do you think this lazy servant got the idea 
that his master was an austere man. That his master was a difficult and hard man. That he asks too much of his servants. Now, I, I, I can't say for sure, but I would, I would pose to you and I would venture to say that he probably heard it from the citizens around him. You, you see, the, the, this, the servant of, of the nobleman, the, the servant who was entrusted with, with, with the nobleman's riches and, and his investment, probably began to listen to the citizens of, of the town. Began to listen to the citizens of the kingdom who did not want this man to rule over us. And began to be dissuaded. And began to, to listen to the world. Instead of to listen to his master. Are we listening to the world? Are we listening to this world around us which says there is no truth? There is no right and wrong. The, 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 as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's okay. Or are we holding to His truth? Are we standing upon the rock? Sadly, we see what happens to this lazy servant. The Lord judges him by his own words. Actually, let me back up here a second. And I hope you can follow me with this thought. I, I think it's a wonderful thought. Think about what he accused the nobleman of. He said of his master, Master, you're an austere man. But he says, listen, you, you, you seek to collect what you did not deposit. You seek to sow. Or you seek to reap what you did not sow. Now, the, the world looks at Jesus Christ and says, He's trying to take away the joys of this life. He's trying to take away what is mine. He's asking too much of me. That's the way the world sees it, right? He desires to co collect where He did not deposit. He, he has no part in my love life. He has no part in what I do with my money. He has no part in my day-to-day I'm master of my own soul. Yet, but I want you to consider about the statement itself. He collects where he did not deposit. And he reaps where he does not sow. For the world sees it in the negative light. Yet I would tell you this. That statement that he said is actually true. Our Lord does collect where he does not deposit. Our Lord does reap where he does not sow. But now how the world understands. Where did our Lord collect where he did not deposit? Psalm 69 verse 4 says this, For those who hate me without cause, are more than the, hair, than the hairs on my head. The mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies, wrongfully. Now this is the phrase I want you to, to follow. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore. When did the Lord collect what He did not deposit? And when did the Lord reap what he did not sow. And I will tell you this, there on Calvary's cross, there as he hung upon the cross, and God the Father poured upon him the sins of the world. And there he reaped, he reaped the what, what our sins had sown. He reaped the sins of of all generations. He collected the deposits of our sins and He took it upon His shoulders and He paid the debt. 
Yes, our Lord collects where He doesn't deposit. He takes the evil and He takes the curse and He takes the bad and leaves nothing but joy for me. Oh, how the world does not understand it. Yet, it was His servant who thought that. Let us never forget who our Lord is. Lastly, we, we see the principle of reward in heaven. He who has will be given more. And he who has not, whatever he has will be taken away from him. And that is true. That, that, is, that will be true in the kingdom of heaven and that will be true here upon this earth. Brothers and sisters, I tell you that if you are not about your father's business, that you, if you are not about spreading the gospel to those who he's entrusted you to spread the gospel, the Lord is faithful to find someone else. If you're not going to preach the gospel to your neighbors, the Lord is not going to be left without a witness. He will find someone else. If you're not going to preach the gospel to those at your workplace, at your school, the Lord will give that opportunity to someone else. Lord, help us not to squander the opportunities that He's given us. Lord, let, let, let us not squander, let us not be silent when we need to be talking. I, I say this in all humility. Lord, help us in these things. Especially in the day that we're in today. That as we traverse distantly from others, that they would see us in a different light and they would ask. That we, we would speak words of comfort. That we would ask concerning eternity. Everybody's thinking about it. Let us be faithful with what He's entrusted us with. Lastly, I would like to read a, a post that I read on Facebook that I feel is applicable to us today concerning this matter of sharing. Uh, our brother um, Jim McCarthy posted this on his Facebook page. He got this letter forwarded to him from a doctor who's in Italy. And I'll, I'll read this and then I'll close in a word of prayer and leave you with this thought. I received this message today from a friend in Italy. It was written by Dr. Julian Urban, a 38-year-old medical doctor serving in a hospital in Lombardy, Italy. Please pray for Dr. Urban, his co-workers, the people of Italy. Please share this post with others that they too may pray. This is the letter from the doctor. Never in my darkest nightmare did I imagine that I would see and experience what has been going on here in Italy in our hospital in the last three weeks. The nightmare flows, and the river gets bigger and bigger. At first, a few patients came, and then a dozen, and then hundreds. Now we are no longer doctors, but sorters who decide who should live and who should be sent home to die. Though all these patients paid for Italian health care through their taxes, until two weeks ago, my colleagues and I were atheists. It was normal because we were doctors. We learned that science excluded the presence of God. I laughed at patients for going to church. Nine days ago, a 75-year-old pastor was admitted into the hospital. He was a kind man. He had a serious breathing problem. He had a Bible with him and impressed us by how he would read it. How he would read it, how he would read it to the dying as he held their hands. We doctors were all tired, discouraged, uh, psychologically and physically finished. When we had times, we would listen to him. We had reached our limits. 
We can do no more. People are dying everywhere. We are exhausted. We have two colleagues who have died and others that have been infected. We realized that we needed to start to ask God for help. We do this when we all have a, a, a few free minutes. When we talk to each other, we cannot believe that though we were once fierce atheists, we are now daily in search of peace. Asking the Lord to help us continue so that we can take care of the sick. Yesterday, the 75-year-old pastor died. Despite having over a hundred deaths here in three weeks, we were destroyed. He had managed, despite his condition and our difficulties, to bring us peace that we no longer had hoped to find. The pastor went to the Lord, and soon we will follow him if matters continues like this. I haven't been home for six days. I don't know when I ate last. I realize my worthlessness on this earth. I want to use my last breath to help others. I am happy to have returned to God while I am surrounded by the suffering and death of my fellow men. Do business. Do business till I come. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we Lord, we ask for boldness. Lord, we ask for help. Lord, we recognize that, that, that we have many reasons why we don't want to open our mouths. And, and, and they're all our flesh. They're all our own insecurities, Lord. Yet, Lord, it is your desire for us to be light and salt to this world. Lord, help your people to be bold. Help your people to share the hope that is within them. Lord, during these difficult times, during these dark times upon this world, as people fear for their lives, fear for the lives of their loved ones, Lord. Lord, we pray that your gospel would go out. Use your people in a mighty way. Lord, help us. Lord, we, as Paul did, Lord. Lord, we pray for the opportunity. We pray for boldness and the opportunity to share with us. Lord, help us in all these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.